Welcome to episode eight of Understanding the Ages as we come to the sixth age, the age in which we're now living. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the greatness of who you are. Your love for us is an eternal love, that even when we were knit together in our mother's womb, you have known us, and you have purposed and destined us for great things in your kingdom, and for us to be blessed by being a part of your kingdom. We thank you for that. And Lord, we receive that by faith when we believe in Jesus Christ our Lord. We thank you for that. And Lord, may we continue to be stirred up as we are looking at all the things that you unfolded for our lives today and for all the days to come. Open our eyes that we might see what the Spirit of God is doing. Open our ears that we might hear what the Spirit of God has to say to us as your church today, that all glory, praise and honour would be to the greatness of your name. Amen. Well, we come to the sixth age now, the age in which we are now living. And as we know in the creation story, God created the whole world in six days and then he rested. And what we're finding that God is bringing to a completion in this sixth age, all that God has been working at so that his purposes would be revealed in all nations of the world. And we're going to see that in the age to come where God is resting and his purposes are unfolding across all nations and in all places. And so this age begins after there had been a, uh, a, a time where there had been very few or very little prophetic voices in Israel. From the book of Malachi to the beginning of um, our Gospels, it was something like 400 years. And God was still doing things in Israel, but there was not a prophetic voice. And so God is about to do something new. And there's the little prelude of the priest Zechariah coming into the temple. And an angel, Gabriel, meeting with him and saying, you and your wife are going to have a son and his name shall be John. And so this is a prelude. This is the, as it were, beating of the drums for the new work that God is going to do. And in each of the ages, we've seen that God begins by meeting with one person, Adam, one person. God meets, starts all mankind. Noah. Father of the uh, the nations, God meet with him face to face. It's begun. Abraham, Moses, Samuel, all started with one. And this age doesn't start with Zechariah and it doesn't start with uh, John the Baptist. It starts with a woman, a young girl, as it were, by the name of Mary. And the angel Gabriel, just like Zechariah, appears to her and says, you're going to have a child and... And, and Mary, by faith, responds, let it to be to me, as you have said. And the Holy Spirit comes upon Mary, and she is with child. Now, with all of these different Moses who met with uh, the Lord Jesus on that um, on that mountain and that face-to-face, and then continue to meet in the, the tent of meeting and all, all the way through, or... Um, or Abraham, who had that meal with, with Jesus as he came with the two angels. And we say, oh, man, that's wonderful. But I think the most precious of them all was Mary. She carried Jesus in her body. The fullness of God was living within her. I think that, like, like a parable of the age that we're now living, where we're filled with the Holy Spirit and God is living right within us. Well, it started with Mary. The fullness of God was living in her womb and growing in her in her womb. 
And she was indwelt by the fullness of God, as it were. And when she gave birth in that little child, she looked at the face of God. There's a song that says, Mary, did you know when you kiss the face of your child, you kiss the face of God? Of all of those that have inaugurated a new age, I think Mary, as, as, as a mother of Jesus, growing up, meeting with Jesus face to face every, every day, <laughs> every day, and as a mother relating to God in the person of Jesus Christ. Um, and so this whole age began with Mary. And, and as the angel said, you are most blessed amongst women. The most blessed woman that has ever lived has to be Mary. And all the other ages were started by man. But this age started with a woman, even um, as it was prophesied, uh, from your seed shall come. And so Mary is the mother of our Lord. And so that's, that's the, um, uh, Mary is the one who begins it all. And, um, and then Jesus is birth. So this is um, the most blessed of all the second generations. It's Jesus himself in person. God becoming a man. And then we see the third generation being the disciples and the apostles who were commissioned by the Lord Jesus to go out into all the world to make disciples in all the world. And so this is the age in which we're now living. And we see that uh, part of this, there was a covenant, <laughs> wonderful covenant that we're part of. It's mentioned in Luke chapter 22 and verse 20 where Jesus at the, the Lord's table came and he took the cup and he says, in the same way at, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Jesus established a new covenant by his sacrifice, by the, the offering of his body on that cross and the shedding of his blood. And he gave us the two signs to celebrate this. One of these is the Lord's table so that we eat of this bread and drink of this cup. We're declaring this covenant relationship that we have with Jesus Christ that speaks of eternal salvation. And uh, the, the, the second sign of this um, covenant that we have got is baptism, that we're baptised into Jesus. As, as Paul mentions this in, in Romans chapter, Chapter 6, he says, don't you realise that you're baptised into his death? And as you come up out of your water, you are now introduced into the resurrection life of Jesus Christ our Lord. And so this, uh, both this water baptism, uh, which is a physical uh, sign, but also the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is a spiritual sign that is connected um, both with that covenant <laughs> and with that, uh, that, that water baptism. So these are the signs of this covenant that has been unfolded for us in these days. But there's a promise also in the midst of this covenant. Uh, and the promise uh, is, is one of those promises Jesus said he's going to come again. But part, um, when Jesus comes again, he's going to rule over all the nations of the world. He's going to rule as the king of Israel, and he's going to rule from Jerusalem, sitting on the throne of David, ruling over his people Israel, and then ruling over all the nations of the earth. By the way, it's him ruling over all the nations of the earth, not Israel uh, ruling over all the nations of the earth. It's the king through his kingdom in Israel, and then that is extended to all, 
all the earth. We haven't got time to explore that more today, but um, I maybe in, um, I'll, I'll see whether we we have time to explore that more deeply as we um, bring this this sessions of teaching to a conclusion. But what we see here is that there's a promise that is given also in John 12, 31. And Jesus, uh, in speaking about him going to the cross, speaks of this. And this is um, very important for us to understand. John chapter 12 and verse 31. Um, after, after the Father had spoken for a third time to Jesus in an audible voice, Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for the judgment of this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven up. But when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. Jesus is giving a promise that when he went to the cross, he's saying, I'm entering into a fight with Satan. And in the offering of his body as a sacrifice and death in the resurrection, he won the fight. <laughs> he entered into death and he broke out of death in the resurrection and so he's won this fight. And there's a promise in that that says Satan will be completely and totally defeated. And so what we see in the book of Revelation is the unfolding of all the things at this end of the age and the fruit of it is Satan is bound up and cast down. And so for the, the age that is coming when Jesus comes again, Satan and all the demons are no longer interfering with God's rule over the earth. So when Jesus is sitting on that throne of David, ruling as a king of the Jews from Jerusalem, and then ruling as a king of all the nations, then Satan is for a thousand years is not interfering with God's kingdom rule. Administered through his saints in all the earth. Wow, that's the promise that it's made. At the beginning of this age, Jesus promised, I'm going to the cross, and on that cross he has won the victory. But I don't know about you, but Satan's still alive and at work in the world today, yes. But when Jesus comes again, it's to put the capstone on what God has been working at hard since the fall when man ended into sin. And then Satan presents himself as the prince of the power of the air as the New Testament speaks of him. Or, or as he uh, presented himself to Jesus at the temptation, I've got the glory of all these nations, all the nations. They all belong to me. They all worship me. And I've, I, I've got all their power and glory, and I can give it to whoever I want. If you bow down and worship me, I'll give it to you. Jesus says, no, it's, it's the way of the cross. And then I will take up my inheritance amongst all the nations, and you will be kicked out. And that's what we see. And at this end of the age, when Jesus comes, that's a promise that was promised at the beginning of the age. And at the end of the age, that will be brought to completion and God's kingdom rule will be established here on earth. That's what we've been praying. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So it's the heavenly rule coming down and now being established on earth through Jesus Christ and the saints over all the nations of the earth. So we see this um, uh, th th this promise is there, and when Jesus has gone to the cross, he's he's declared this promise, and it's it's there at the beginning of this age. At the end of this age, it will be brought to completion. Just like in the first age, it said, "If you eat of the tree, you'll die," and Adam continued to live for a while. But at the end of the age, it was brought to completion. So I'd like 
well, before we conclude, just to look at that third, what's the third generation? What's the, uh, the, the third generation that births that which will be made manifest through the whole age? And the third generation is, des- is described in Acts chapter 9 and Acts chapter 10. In Acts chapter 9, we find uh, th- there's a Jewish man um, who has been persecuting the church. And he's decided to go to Damascus, just north of Israel, and he's going to find the Christians that are there, and he's going to arrest them, and he's going to put them in jail, um, and he was going to be looking in the synagogue for the Jewish believers that were following Jesus up in Damascus. He was going to arrest them, wants to put them in jail, even put them to death. And so he's on his way to Damascus, and what happens? The Spirit of God <laughs> arrests him. He has a meeting with the resurrected Lord Jesus. Why are you persecuting me? As it were, uh, the last apostle to meet with 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 Jesus um, that we have recorded in the, in the scriptures. The last appearance of Jesus is actually in the Book of Revelation, where he meets with John. And after that, the scriptures were sealed, and that's the end of the time of the inauguration. But this this pinnacle, this third generation, starts with Paul, who is going to be the apostle to the Gentiles. He's going to take the gospel to the Jews. And they're going to reject it, but then he's going to go to the Gentiles and continue to go to the Gentiles, and there's going to be this great work of the Spirit of God amongst the Gentiles. And so there's a promise there as Paul meets with um, Jesus on that road to Damascus. And in Acts chapter 10, we find Cornelius, uh, a, a Gentile. At this time, the gospel has only just gone to the Jews and the Samaritans. But uh, Cornelius is a Gentile, and as he's praying, the Lord says, there's a man called Simon Peter, Dan and Joppa, in Simon the Tanner's house by the sea. Send some men and get him to come to you and tell you the good news. And at that same... Um, and so he organises some um, faithful servants and a faithful soldier to, to go down. Um, and while they're on their way... Peter is in Joppa and he's uh, praying. They're, they're getting a meal for him ready and he goes up on the roof and he's praying and in it he has a vision three times of this sheep coming down from heaven and all these unclean animals. And the voice of God says, get up and eat. Peter says, oh, I can't do it. And it happens three times and Peter doesn't understand what it's about. I'm a Jew. I'm not meant to. That, that's unclean. If I eat that, then I become unclean. How can I do that? And it's not till uh, there's a knock at uh, the, the, the men arrive from Cornelius and shout out, is Simon, <laughs> Simon, who known as Peter, is he in the house? And even before Peter goes down, the Spirit of God says, you, you to go with these men. And when he goes down, he opens the door. And um, as I think of, of Peter, oh, God's told me to go with these Jewish brethren downstairs who believe in Jesus, and I'll go with them. So he walks up and opens the door. And two things. Number one, they're not Jewish. And number one, then they're not part of that small remnant of, of, of Jewish people that believe in Jesus. And so he's totally shocked. And, they, and then they share something in the story of the angel appearing to Cornelius and telling them to come and get them. Peter starts to get it. The vision of the sheet and all those unclean animals. It's time for the gospel to go to the Gentiles. And we often skip over it, but the, it tells us that Peter then, you see, these... These Gentiles have stood outside the door and shouted to Peter because they know for a Jew did not want 
a Gentile entering to his home. That was unclean coming into a clean place in Jewish understanding. So they wouldn't come in. But Peter opens the door and says, you come in. And here in Joppa we see Peter, the Apostle Peter, the Jewish leader of the Apostles and the Church of God is inviting the Gentiles in. Next day he goes um, to Caesarea and as he enters the house and begins the message, the Spirit of God falls upon Cornelius and all those who have gathered here and the Spirit of God is poured out upon the Gentiles. This here in Acts 9 and 10 is this third generational picture. God is birthing the apostle to the Gentiles and he's birthing the going forth of the gospel to the Gentiles. And for the rest of this age, we're going to see the gospel going forth to the Gentiles. In the midst of that journey, um, when, when Paul went out as a missionary, he would go first to the Jews, the synagogue, and he preached there. Before long, oftentimes, he was kicked out of the synagogue and he would take a few of the believing Jews with him and he would go and set up a place. And then all the Gentiles would come and join with him and the Jewish believers that were there, and Paul would form a church. You see, Paul always planted a Jew-Gentile church. We may look at some more of that in um, the uh, appendix to this message. But what we're needing to see here is that God had a plan to extend the kingdom of God, not just for Israel, but including it, not excluding Israel, but including Israel, but to extend it to all nations. Even as he said in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 14, as we're talking about signs of the end age and what to expect, part of that message is he speaks about the gospel going to the nations. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then, and then the end will come. So what we see in this Acts 9 and Acts 10 is the, the, the promise of this gospel going to all the nations. Following on, wait until you receive power from on high and then you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the utmost ends of the earth. And so in this third generation encounter, we're seeing the impetus of God starting the first step for that gospel to go to all nations. And let me just um, turn then to... Uh, just as we finish, to, to Romans chapter 11. Because in Romans chapter 11, it says, speaks about the Jews, that their heart has been hardened for a time. But before Jesus comes again, all Israel will be saved. So what we see in this age, and, and we've seen it unfolded in, in, in these years past, the gospel has gone out from Jerusalem. Started with all the, the Jewish apostles and then, and then through the Jewish apostles there was a church form which was Jew, Gentile, together. For many millennium now, uh, or a number of millennium now, the, the, many of the Jew, there, there haven't been many Jews and they've fallen away. And so the church has predominantly become Gentile. And so many then see, oh, well, the church is just Gentile. But look, God's picture for the church was always a Jew-Gentile picture. And we're going to uh, see in some uh, uh, coming studies, perhaps in the appendix, I'll look at something more of that, of, of how that is an important part that we need to see for what is happening in the world today as the Spirit of God is preparing the church with it as a Jew-Gentile one new man church prepared 
for the coming again of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you. <laughs> wow, for what you've given to us. We want to thank you for the gift of Jesus. We want to thank you that Jesus died on that cross and he has dealt with the penalty and the punishment of sin once and for all. And that when we have put our faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, we are brought into a new covenant. Our sin is forgiven. And we have the promise that just as Jesus rose from the dead, so we shall rise from the dead as well. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that um, at the beginning of this age, you rose from the dead, the one came alive again. And we know at the end of this age, all those that have believed in you shall rise again. And we know at the end of the seventh age that everyone who has ever lived will be resurrected. We thank you for the greatness of what you have given to us and help us day by day to appreciate and understand the wonder of what you've given us. That the same spirit that came into the dead body of Jesus and brought it alive again is the same spirit that has been poured out of Pentecost and the same spirit that you have put in our hearts so that the life we now live is a resurrected life that shall know no end. We thank you for the wonder of truth and we know, Lord, even if we are to die, it is, it is but a twinkling of an eye for we are connected with you for all eternity into eternal life. We thank you for that wonderful promise. We rejoice in that wonderful truth. And we give you all the praise and glory in the mighty name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. God bless.